0: This is a Colored Pencil Podcast, session number 130. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Colored Pencil Podcast, where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts... Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com, and I'm joined, you guessed it, by Lisa Clow of Lockery (laughs) Fine Art. We're pretty predictable around here, aren't we, Lisa? Yeah. So it must be Monday, and you guessed it, we're going to talk about colored pencil. So, Lisa, what are we talking about today?
1: We are following up with our last podcast and answering some more of our listeners' questions.
0: All right. So, Beth writes, does blending colored pencils with mineral spirits help to prevent wax bloom? What are your techniques to prevent wax bloom? You know, okay, I got to be honest about that. I haven't had wax bloom happen to me in years now since I switched from Prismacolor Premier. I use those on a limited basis sometimes, but I typically don't use them very, very much anymore as a general rule. And so I don't really, I've not really had to fight with wax bloom since then, but what you can do, and yes, you're correct. Mineral spirits will often get rid of it, especially if that's your, like your final layer. But another thing that'll get rid of it is just warming up, you know, your project using a blow dryer, a heat gun or whatever, and don't bake it or anything. Don't get wild, but just heating it up slightly or once you're done with your project and your artwork and you don't have wax bloom yet then if you spray it with a fixative then you're going to prevent the wax bloom but yeah I don't I what the biggest thing I would do is I would recommend that uh, you try some other pencils though too and you'll see how how nice that is as well yeah
1: that pretty much stopped wax bloom for me when I switched (laughs) from Prismacolor I just assumed all pencils did that I didn't realize that that was kind of I did too. Notorious to, with them. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I'm not saying, I mean, that's actually one of my lesser yeah. complaints about Prismacolors. But you can wipe them with a cloth too.
0: You can. I never had a real bad problem with it though. Once in a while. But yeah, not, once not in really. a while
1: I did. But I've been working with odorless mineral spirits for so many years. That really dissolves it and pretty well. Ridden. So I didn't have a real problem with it wasn't too bad because of the use of odorless mineral spirits, but I know Prismacolor makes their own spray too. So I've not personally used it, but I'm going to guess that that would probably be a really good option for
0: probably would. using
1: as a final spray to prevent the wax bloom.
0: Yeah, just test on a separate sheet yes, of paper always and test. see if that... You know, works.
1: Our next question comes from Anastasia. She writes, Does photorealism teach you any skills? I'm teaching myself to draw and paint with the goal of being able to draw original characters, backgrounds, creatures from imagination while I study fundamentals. I also spend a lot of time making realistic and photorealistic work. Since I'm essentially just copying what I see on the paper, am I really learning anything? Are there any skills I'm absorbing that will transfer over to working from imagination? Now, first off, I I just want to throw this out there because there seems to be this misconception usually from very young artists who think that in order to be a good artist, everything has to come from your imagination. It doesn't work that way. If you're working in realism, you're going to use reference photos. I mean, even if – let's say I wanted to paint a dragon. I'm still going to find reference photos of different types of lizards and different, you know, bearded dragons and stuff like that that I could – Copy their skin texture on. So even if I draw out the dragon on my own, I'm still going to use a reference photo for different skin types that I can then apply to my artwork. So for the most part, don't. I just want to get this idea. You know, start at least convince. At least you've heard it from one person. Don't be so against reference photos. Even if you're drawing from imagination, you still, reference photos are a good thing. But yes, you're absolutely teaching yourself skills. If you don't copy things realistically, when you go, I mean, I can't even count the amount of times just looking around my own studio right now where I look at a painting where I had one photo or I combined three different photos, but I combined work from one photo that was fairly mediocre and changed it into something that was a much stronger piece. The only reason I could change it is I have drawn that subject. Let's say it's flamingo feathers. I've drawn so many flamingos over the years that I can then take a really crappy photo, usually one I've taken myself, or even make up. Let's say I'm making a flamingo mermaid hybrid of some sort, which copyright in that photo, that idea, um, trademark, copyright, wrong word, but let's say I want to do that. I'm not going to be able to make the feathers look realistic if I have not copied or drawn enough realistic-looking flamingos. How am I going to know how to translate those feathers onto that mermaid if I've not done the feathers realistically on the flamingo itself, if that makes any sense? The more that you draw, the more you, you learn to do, even if that's just copying things exactly with realism, the more you're able to do, as far as the creativity side, when you start using your imagination for more stuff, using... a a bigger variety of stuff. And I work in surrealism a lot. A lot of you who follow just my colored pencil stuff may not be aware of that. But when I work in oils and acrylics, I, I do a lot of surreal work. And even if I'm combining, you know, a background that has Jupiter and Mars and all these different planets in the background and goldfish and all of these things, obviously I don't have a photo that I'm copying of just those things. I've got photos of goldfish, photos of planets, photos of several different things that I'm then combining myself does that mean I'm less creative or being held back or limited? No, not at all. But I'm still going to look at something to so that I can at least see the texture of the fins on the goldfish or see the way the fins flow, that sort of thing. But I think early on, just backing that up even more, learning to draw things realistically, yes, that is absolutely going to apply so that when you start drawing things more from imagination, but don't ever feel like in order to be super skilled at something, you can only work from imagination. It's something that I know you didn't specifically ask that, but that seems to be something I hear so often from artists who are like, for some reason, opposed to drawing from reference mm-hmm. photos. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand that. That's actually giving you more freedom. It's allowing you to see things. There's no way your brain remembers that kind of detail.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, there's a, a saying, and it goes something like this. I've kind of adopted it probably for what I think makes sense. But it's this, draw what you see and study the subject matter. And then until you'll draw what you know. And I think that's sort of what, you know, Lisa's alluding to there as well. And so I love portraits and so I study portraiture. I study, you know, that particular object model if you will that subject matter and so the principles don't change and so i can draw an eye from memory i can do these things because i've drawn these things so many times and often when i'm sketching i'm i'm just doing that i'm just practicing those things that i already know but i'm you know sharpening those skills on the subject matter that interests me and that i'm you know wanting to be more skilled at and so if if you're really if this is something that you really want to do if if you know, if drawing from your imagination is something you're really, really into, then yeah, but if you want it to be realistic looking, yeah, I believe you still are learning a lot of things when you're doing that. But I, I can tell you that, and I've not read this book, but I, I know there is a good book. Uh, I've heard him interviewed on a podcast recently. This author, he he's an artist, and he wrote this book called Cognitive Drawing. So if you're really wanting to do something that is teaching you a technique on how to draw from your your memory and from your mind then you could check it out and I think it's fairly inexpensive and he's doing updates on it all the time and you'll get all the updates is what what he said but we'll put a link to that in the show notes. His name is Jason Brewbaker and so that's something that he is able to teach you how to do that. I've not done it, but I guess it's pretty successful. So you might want to check that out and see what you think about it. But still, you're not going to you're never going to go wrong with studying photography and studying real life Objects and subject matter that interests you. And so then that just becomes a a muscle memory to you. You know that subject matter so well that you can replicate that no matter what it is you're trying to draw or paint.
1: And uh, just such an added bonus to that. I mean, if we look at the uh, dolphin, I did the dolphin, it's fresh in my mind because I just did the tutorial for it. But the dolphin that is now on the ink tints, pencil tins, that one, the photo that I used for that Was not a super amazing photo. I had the outline of what the dolphin was, but the rays of light, none of that. The light bouncing around on him, the colors used, none of that is what my reference photo looked like. But I have painted so many dolphins that had better reference photos that had the the nice lighting on them. I've done so many hundreds of those over the years that... I and you know need Yeah, I and... know how to make that light work without having mm-hmm. a photo of that light. But I wouldn't get to that point where I could apply what I learned before to this had I not right. done it from copying the photos exactly for so long.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, photorealism does teach you things. And, you know, what – what it mostly teaches you is that subject matter, but there's something else that goes on with that, and that is that, as an artist, we're always trying to improve on whatever the subject matter is. That we're we're copying quotes and quotes. You know, we're not actually copying a photo. You're putting your own interpretation on that photo every time, and so. You know, even if you think you're copying something so exact that no one can tell the difference between what you've done with that photo and some other artist has done, it can't be done. You're, you're still going to, I would say it's a very minuscule chance that that can be done. You're still going to put your own interpretation because we're, we all come from a different vantage point. And, you know, we're, we're interpreting things every time that we're essentially creating something and creating art. Our next question, I wanted to ask you how you set up your studio to take pictures of your finished artwork. I just started, and I can't afford to have a professional photographer take pictures because they are expensive. I'm working on making my website, and I need good quality pictures. Thank you, and I love your art. All right, well, you know, you don't necessarily need to have the, the best camera ever to take pictures of your artwork, but what you do need to know is you need to know the equipment very well, and you need to know if it can do a good color match, and if it can take a decent photo that, that can be represented for whatever it is you're going to be using it for. I mean, if you're going to be using it to make prints of, then you have to probably... Have something that is decent enough to be able to give you a good representation. So you have to have that that plane of focus from the lens to the, the plane of your paper exactly parallel or perpendicular rather and you have to make sure that you know you have a good enough lighting situation where you're not going to have you know these hot spots and dark spots and things like that there's i mean there's several things that go into it now i'll tell you depending on the size work that you're working on a lot of artists use a scanner and a scanner once you get the settings where they're supposed to be it's a set it and forget it. You can put your artwork then on the scanner and it'll scan it the same way every single time. That's a, a really good option, especially if you don't have a, a great camera right now and you're not able to afford a photographer to take pictures of your work. But there are a lot of boutique shops now that can take reference photos of your work and they're very inexpensive. I think, I think you can do it for... Probably under thirty bucks. I'm not sure. The one that I go to often is I think it does several. It it'll do a G Clay digital image for I think it's thirty five dollars. And then if you want to print the G Clay, of course that's more money. But you can do prints that are not G Clays of that particular artwork, and you know you can do that for you know merely pennies, depending on how much you know you're going to have printed. So that's very affordable. You can do things like that, but I'm not sure where, you know, that would be where you live. I'm not, not sure about that. So those are just some options for you.
1: I'm going to answer this question from a slightly different perspective of not just getting photos for print, but having cool photos for your social media, for your website, for that sort of thing. Because one of the things as artists we don't always want to do is just take a photo and have the artwork by itself. I found on social media, and even for websites, I kind of every once in a while go back and forth thinking I want to redo some of this on my own, but it seems like you get more interaction if you can see the studio in the background, you can see a backdrop, you can see the paintbrushes or your pencils are included in the photo. I've seen better reaction on my stuff when it's that versus the professional photo that I take, um, the finished project, which is always kind of funny to me. But showing a really cool background for your studio is really easy to do and really inexpensive. When I first started with my YouTube videos, my first couple of videos, if you look way back to, I think, 2012, I had a bookshelf in the background. And after a couple of videos of that, I realized that looks messy and I look like a hoarder. Even though it's just a bookcase full of books, it looked terrible. So I decided, okay, what can I do to make this different? I didn't have very much money at all. I needed something cheap. And I had, I found some drop cloths that I used when I was painting on for big projects, just because I get messy. And of course, this is for painting. The colored pencil artists may not have these laying around, but just cheap, like $20. I probably spent for it drop cloths that I had gotten at the hardware store over in their p- painting section. They were canvas and I painted them. I took my acrylic painting or paint and just laid gray and blue and black and just a bunch of different colors on this. That was my backdrop for years. And it looked really nice for the background of my videos. You no longer saw the bookcase. It hid that. I had this very artsy looking, you know, it wasn't too much detail. It was just splattered color, basically, all fairly mute with the blues and the grays. I didn't want anything too colorful because whatever you do for your background, you want it to accentuate the artwork, not take away from it. You don't want people focusing on what you're putting in the background. Like I've seen some people take photos of their artwork and put kids' toys next to it. I'm thinking, what that has nothing to do with your artwork. Why would you do that? I'm focused on the kid's toy instead of the artwork. And I don't mean kid's toys were laying in the background. I mean, someone actually laid like kid's toys on their artwork to take the photo. Where I'm oh, like, wow! What are you doing? Um, I think it was a critique of like that someone had sent him. So you want to make sure whatever you do, if you're trying to make kind of a creative background for these cool photos, that it's something that makes the artwork look better. You still want the artwork to be the feature there. You could do a reclaimed wood, like if you can get a hold of an old wood fence, kind of sand that down, paint it, or leave it rough, something like that. Set that up as your background. That would actually work really, it's something that I've always personally wanted for the background of my video, my painting videos. But that would look really good. You know, stage something using the, the products. You probably have stuff around your house to stage an area that would make for a great backdrop. And that that backdrop, that background that you create can become a part of your brand. So whether that be a bookcase that doesn't look like you're a hoarder like mine was, you you know, you can do this with nice looking, just a few books sitting there, or maybe a candle, I don't know, random stuff, not super brightly colored, especially if you can keep it muted with browns and grays, that your artwork just really stands out there. Or one of the things that I like to take photos on, I had a local woodworker make me a workbench out of reclaimed wood. So, and the funny thing is I had it custom made and it was cheaper than buying a brand new table. Sometimes I get splinters, so, you know, there's your downside, but it looks so cool. I'm able now to, I I use it all the time for taking photos of my artwork. Maybe you have a cool looking coffee table that you can use. If you get the artwork set on there, and it's really easy with colored pencil pieces, with your pencils laying next to it, you know, kind of position it, stage it so it looks really cool, and take a photo that way. Those photos will oftentimes get more attention than just a crop out of the artwork that looks, you know, that you get a really good professional photo of. Obviously, you're not going to be making prints of that, but for as far as your website, social media, that type of background, and it can be stuff that you already have at your home. The things you want to watch out for, things I've seen that kind of made me scratch my head. Artwork put on carpet usually doesn't look very good, especially stained or dirty carpet. I've seen this a lot where I'm looking at that going, clean your house. That are you are weird. you serious?
0: Because it it would show, you know, this is pretty, that's not. I, I'm, I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, use some common sense here, but a coffee table, a dresser, it could be anything yeah. you have that you're setting your artwork on, or just get an easel, a flimsy little $10 easel that you get. The, the ones that I wouldn't paint on because you can't add pressure without the whole thing flopping over. But you you can get an easel like that, set your artwork on that in front of a wall that's painted a pretty color or that has those nice decorations like I was talking. Though, Especially if you've got something with muted grays and browns, those always look great. Interesting lighting can do it. But taking your photo that way on top of an easel in front of things. So that's one of the things that I do a lot when I post on Instagram. I'll take, I'll back up a bit if the, rest of my studio is clean enough to show this much. But I'll back up a little bit so that you can see my easel, that you can see the backdrop a little bit that I'm using for my videos. And the backdrop on my videos, all that is, is a cheap drop cloth. I I repeated the first process. It worked so well for my first backdrop. For this one, I got some, I forget what kind of wood boards these are. Um, I think oh, what are they called? Floorboards. Um, floorboards. They're something like that that I use. And I attached the drop cloth to it that I hand painted and then nailed that to the wall. I'm sure my apartment's going to love me when I move out. But it's it works really well. It's simple. It did not cost me much because that was, you know, my first requirement. It needs to be inexpensive. But you can spend a tiny bit of money or just use supplies you already ra- have around your house and stage something that looks very nice. Just make sure it doesn't detract from the art. You want the artwork to be the focus. Another thing that you can do, if you Photoshop, if you want to set up a stage like that, you can Photoshop the whole background into black and white and your artwork be the only part that's in color. And little thing about black and white photos, even if the area you're in isn't super clean or organized, if it's in black and white, it'll make things look way more organized and way cleaner than they actually are. So that may be a way to create an interesting image, but still have your artwork really stand out because it's the only thing that's in color so just a few tips a few ideas that you can use there
0: and the only thing clean <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that's great and yeah i apologize i totally missed your uh, question so i answered a question that no one asked but, oh heck
1: maybe all i'm all right, the one who misunderstood it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no we, we i'm go sure you away didn't. on that one <laughs> no as tired as i am i'm sure you didn't didn't misunderstand. So okay. So here's here's the other thing. I just wanted to bring this up. Um, I saw recently. I don't remember how how long ago this was. Someone mentioned on uh, Facebook or somewhere else that they asked the question. They said, "How come I see so many colored pencil artists putting their pencils?" on their their drawings whenever they're posting them online I so what do you guys get out of doing that or something like that so that kind of answers that question it maybe adds a little more visual interest that someone doesn't mistakenly think oh that's a uh, a photograph or something like that and i think
1: that's a big deal for colored pencil artists because so many of us work in photorealism
0: yeah, and and it does right, and it also shows. Okay, this was the medium, you know, that was used. That kind of thing. It answers a couple of questions, I think, is what it does. So nothing wrong with it. I that person uh, kind of got all bent up about it, but but yeah, I I don't know. It, it's I I have seen it where it's excessive, where it covers up like a quarter of the drawing or something like that, but. But, yeah, just adding some more visual interest to it. I can see that. I can see where that, that might be something of uh, you know of value to do. But, again, with this question, like with so many others, I mean, don't let this be something that trips you up, that makes you think, oh, I can't post yet until I get a cool background, you know, something like that. Just go ahead and uh, post anyway.
1: Our next question comes from Lisa, who writes, not me, a different Lisa, who writes, sure. I'm looking to sell my art, and I was curious about how you came up with your name. While researching how to name a business, I found great tips, but I ran across an article for artists to just use their names as this is recommended when creating your name for your website store, etc. as an artist. So here's the thing. Don't feel like you need an artist name. When I first started, I don't know... Uh, I think we see one artist do it, and we assume that's the way to do it, and so we're all going to do it. When I first started, within a couple of years of starting, I was working with a guy who was a professional artist, and he used Firetree Studios or something like that, something with fire in it. I think it was okay. Firetree. And I thought, okay, that's what you're supposed to do to have a business. Now, mind you, this was the 90s. So I think People it was a People didn't even use different.
0: their real names
1: on Well, anything. not even so much that. I think that there really wasn't much information out there because we didn't have much on the internet yet. There wasn't a lot out there on marketing and business. QD98
0: at hotmail.com. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot out
1: there telling us what we should and shouldn't do, that's for sure. So I saw that and I thought, well, I need one like that. So I used Water of Life Studio for a long time because I was using only Water of Life Studio. Water
0: of Life. Because huh.
1: all I did was paint ocean, fish, dolphins. It's water has life in it. That's what I'm using. I used it nonstop, and for I'm gonna a few years I used it before I switched to just calling it Lawrie Fine Art. So here's the funny thing with me. So now I had two names. I've always used Lawrie. La Cree at Water of Life Studios. Now I have two different weird names. Neither of one are at my actual name, which was kind of funny. Um, after a few years, I, I realized it was better just to call it LaCree Fine Art since that's what I signed my artwork with. But I see a lot of artists trying to do that now. They're trying to make certain blah, 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 studio, this studio... Lacroix Fine Art Studio or Lacroix Studio would be okay, but you know, having the weird the the Water of Life thing was weird. You know how many artists use that? How many? Well, as it turns out, how many churches use that? That's a common name for churches. That gets confusing. That isn't something that's very unique to me. Firetree Studio was not something unique to the artist. Name was art something or another. I can't tell you what it was because all I remember was <laughs> oh, Firetree dear. Studio. I don't even remember the artist's name because his art name wasn't used in his work. That is not a good thing marketing wise. So I don't know that it's your best bet to be using these different studio names. I'm not saying it's terrible, but I don't know that it's always the right answer. For me, I use La Cree Fine Art because I signed my artwork with La Cree. And the reason for that is my maiden name I hated and I knew I would eventually get married anyway. So I wanted something that I could just sign my artwork with forever. It didn't change if my marital status changed. I mean, I make that sound like I'm planning a divorce. At the time I was planning to get married. So Matt, I didn't hey, want to be, you know, have my Name changing. I wanted one name that would stay no matter what, and Lacree is a combination of my name and my younger sister's name. So it, it just fit for me to use, and it's what I've always signed with. I'm very lucky because I was able to get the domain name La Cree fi- or Lacree.com because it wasn't a real word, it wasn't something that anyone used. So it fit for me. There was a reason that I went with that. That's not necessarily going to be the case for everybody. Some people may be better off using their real name, using whatever it is. Now um, no there there are exceptions to this on why you may want to use a certain name like John uses sharpened artist that makes sense because he's teaching he well, you know it, it works I with his do. business
0: <laughs> I'll talk about the embarrassing name I had before but, Oh uh, no
1: what was it
0: It was dumb it was it was uh, it, it was so original it was drawingjohn.com <laughs> It was a verb and a noun that was it that was all I could come up with. It was so. Was your logo a it was toilet? No, so, nah, you See, know that what? doesn't
1: work with your name being John. That seems. You know kind what? Of now, silly.
0: now we're okay. Now, now it's on. We're, we're gonna fight.
1: <laughs> well, here the reason that I didn't want my <laughs> no, so, I wouldn't use my maiden name is the it was Dickinson, and as a kid, I was made fun of for that name so yeah. badly that I'm like. This is inappropriate. I'm not using that for my business.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Right. So it was. It was so weird because. Um, yeah. I, I. couldn't think of a name myself. And. And you know. To, to get back to your question here, I mean, yeah, just the the safest thing is, and unless you've got something like like John or like like Lisa's maiden name, I can't even repeat that. Was you know, <laughs> it's something that you know you can. You can. It's better. You're better off just using your name, unless you know those exceptions. But the thing, the thing about it is, again, this shouldn't be something that should you know something that you stress over. This shouldn't be. This should be a decision you can make rather quickly. But yeah, I. You're right, Lisa. This was more about my teaching, is why I came up with Sharpened Artists. and I didn't make that pivot until I decided that that's what I wanted to do is to go into the teaching side of things more. But I should have just you know, opened up a site with johnmiddick.com dot com or John Middick Studio or something something like that. And I thought of a lot of different names that I might go with and they were all equally as weak as drawing John. And I was never I'd never liked that one. I was never proud of it. I did an illustration for a, a book and and they asked me, uh, "Yeah, you want me to put drawingjohn.com dot com in there?" I said, "No, nah, just put my name in there." <laughs> you know, it just wasn't—it wasn't good. I knew I wanted to change that at some point. So,
1: I mean, I think if your name is something that's super common, like. Heather Jones, you may yeah. want yeah. to be a little bit more creative there. That's where, you, I well, yeah, mean, there are re- good reasons, yeah. I think, to change things. And I'm very glad that I used La Cree from the beginning. So grateful that I did that because I did end up getting married a few years later. So I didn't want to change that. I actually kind of like my last name now is Clow. And I like that well enough. I would have been okay to sign it with that. I think if that's when I started my artwork, I may have stayed with using La- Lisa Clow. I don't know that I would have yeah. jumped to La Cree at that point, but- it, it's worked out well, but don't overthink thinking you need this fancy name for a studio. I see this a lot and I've seen some people use it in a very creative way that worked really well for them, but it's not always necessary. I mean, I see so many names out there, like one artist whose name, I, it always sticks in my head, is Deb Stanley. Because I see her stuff all the time in the colored pencil oh, groups, funny. and I will never yeah. not forget her name. I know right, who it right. is, and I automatically, when I hear her name, I think of her work, which is beautiful, yeah. by the way. You know, yeah. it, it just pops in my head. Her work always stands out, and I associate that with her name. So, and hers is just her name. She didn't need... A crazy, you know, something, something, something studio in order for that to stick in my head. She's marketed herself with her name and it worked really well. It it just depends. It depends on what you're doing, what your goals are, but don't always feel like you have to find some crazy creative name. Your own name may be good enough. In this case, like I said, Deb Stanley, it always pops in my head. I hear that name or see that name, and I I recognize that artwork as being hers. So just some stuff to think of. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. an answer for you, but don't feel like you need to make up some crazy name either.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have this time. But if you want to submit a question, you can go over to sharpenedartist.com slash Q&A. That's Q-A-N-D-A and post your question there and we'll read it on the podcast and answer it if you want to reach out to us lisa's at lockery i'm at sharpened artist on twitter podcast at sharpenedartist.com is the email address show notes we take all the notes for you including that book that i talked about earlier and so yeah yeah all the show notes will be over there for you and most of the time those are clickable links for you and we will talk to you again, that's right, next week on Monday. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. Uh, including that book that I talked about earlier, was that on this show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I remember. Yours, right?
1: Oh, Last right. One? You did that oh. one. I forgot. I talked for so long, I thought it was me.